You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. FM Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com, your trusty, trusty if not talented host of the program, which of course is brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolates here out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of our fair city. Great, great options for you as we head uh, entirely, we immerse ourselves in fall, right? Feels like fall out there today. I can tell you that. Went on the morning walk. Felt great out there. And so in keeping with the theme there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, all your favorite fall treats. I mean, it's hard for me not to think about fall and not think about those caramel-wrapped, chocolate-dipped Granny Smith apples they got for you. And they're a great shareable, by the way. You know? They're big apples, so you can take them, you can cut them up a little bit, and you've got a treat for a couple of three, four people there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Joined on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who, together, we combine to form the 60-minute band Woo! of Sports Talk Radio. Joe Gaither, how are you doing on this Tuesday morning? Oh, doing fabulous today, Travis. I like to, you know... Just a Tuesday, ready ready to keep, get the day going. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Kind of getting the legs back under me after the trip out to Como for Alabama's season opening win over the Missouri Tigers. I went and got stretched again yesterday afternoon. Ooh, is I'm it feeling better? Digging. Yeah, I'm kind of digging that. Yeah, it, 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 I think I think there's some benefit there. I do. I'm, I'm going to continue to explore that sort of routine. You know, I've done just about everything available to you, and uh, the stretching seems to be helping. I'm, I'm a fan so far, so we'll uh, we'll certainly keep you updated on that because we know that sort of that sort of exclusive breaking info that we provide to you here on the program is exactly why you tune in two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. Speaking of checking in, if you'd like to check in with us, you can do that there. Um, man, as we've talked about, big couple of days coming up in the world of sports. You got the Major League Baseball playoffs getting underway. Our Atlanta Braves set to host the Cincinnati Reds. The Braves, I like that the Braves got in there as the two seed. And I like that because that means the Cardinals are the five seed which means the Braves won't have to see either the Cardinals or the top-seeded L.A. Dodgers there in the National League until the NLCS, which, man, it's just very interesting to consider how this thing's going to unfold in Major League Baseball. Now, you're going to have the the higher seeds hosting three-game series here in sort of the wild card round. But then once you get to the divisional series – you know, you're going to have one of those being played in Arlington, Texas, one of them being played in Houston, Texas. Uh, and then from there in the National League, the winner of those divisional series will advance to the NLCS, which if you're the L.A. Dodgers or any of those teams in that one, you know, one eight four five seating there in the top half of that bracket, 
Uh, it could be that you're in Arlington, Texas throughout the, the remainder of the playoffs, including the World Series, because that's where the 2020 World Series is going to be contested this year, home of the Texas Rangers. So the Dodgers is the one seed could essentially move on to Arlington in the divisional round, stay there for the NLCS, and then even perhaps the World Series. Different, different times, no doubt. Some football talk to get into on the program this morning. We're going to get into some of the comments made by Nick Saban yesterday at his uh, weekly kickoff press conference. Uh, Again, this one on the heels of the win over Missouri. Get into some of that stuff. You had Monday Night Football last night. Well, that was an anticipated matchup, wasn't it? Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson, and once again, all Chiefs in that situation. As Lamar Jackson said himself, a little surprised to hear Lamar Jackson actually go there after the game and use the kryptonite word in relation to the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's what it is right now, man. Chiefs uh, you know, win by 14, and it, and it felt even easier than that. Not a great night for Lamar Jackson throwing the football. And that's going to continue to be the question about his game, no doubt, in terms of making plays with his legs and what he's able to do and how he's able to stress defenses from that perspective, absolutely no doubt. And I do think he's a better passer than some people like to give him credit for, but that performance last night makes it hard to defend Lamar Jackson from those out there who still don't believe he has the upside even in the neighborhood of a Patrick Mahomes, maybe even not even in the neighborhood of a Dak Prescott, certainly not along the lines of a Russell Wilson. Um, and so that was interesting last night up there in Baltimore as the Chiefs took care of business. But we're going to get into a lot of college football talk on the show today as well. We've got Brent Beard coming up in the very next segment. Brent, of course, joins us on Wednesdays as we go around the Southeastern Conference with the encyclopedic one. Brent Beard. We'll get Brent's thoughts on the weekend that was in the SEC, and uh, we'll look ahead to the upcoming weekend, which, of course, will include the Alabama Crimson Tide right here in Tuscaloosa hosting Jimbo Fisher, Kellen Mond, and the Texas A&M Aggies. And, boy, you get the sense. It's going to be a busy weekend around Tuscaloosa. Did a little research yesterday. Did a little ticket man research, did a little hotel man research to try to get a feel for what this weekend might be like in T-Town. And look, based on those results, kind of the expectation is business as usual for a home game weekend uh, in Tuscaloosa. Now, we understand from a tailgating perspective, not going to be the case, at least on campus. But talking with some folks in the business community there in downtown here in the last week, specifically the restaurant business, and I know there's some places. It's uh, I know there's some places where they're they're adapting, they're adjusting their business hours based on the protocols and what's in play for home games. Now there's some restaurants downtown that. During an Alabama game, they just they're closed, you know, especially those that are in that sort of two thirty window or the early window. Well, I think you're going to see all of those folks open on Saturday, because with no tailgating in place on campus, folks are going to need somewhere to go. And so we like that for our friends in the business community. Heat Pizza Bar among them, right there in downtown Tuscaloosa, should be get, should be great for Frank and Will and the crew. Uh, and then from the hotel perspective. You know, I've got the Hilton app on the old smartphone. And so I said, well, let me check and see what hotel vacancy looks like for Friday and Saturday of this weekend. And the app that I use, it searches six properties for that chain in the Tuscaloosa area. And of the six it searched, there weren't any vacancies. So folks are coming, man. They're coming, even with that 20, 25,000 type seat uh, occupancy capacity that you're going to have for Bryant-Denny Stadium. Still projects as a uh, bustling weekend here in Tuscaloosa. Certainly different than what I experienced out in Columbia, Missouri, 
which as I wrote last night, sort of had the vibe there in Como of like a midweek Missouri Oral Roberts baseball game in February. That was your atmosphere leading up to that one on Saturday night at Furrow Field. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. As we said, Nick Saban addressing the media on Monday. Gave you a brief overview of the Texas A&M team that is coming to town. Of course, as you would expect, Nick Saban, very complimentary of Jimbo Fisher. His old offensive coordinator worked under Nick Saban there at LSU. Pointed to the returning starters that A&M has coming back. Isaiah Spiller at the running back position. Um, veteran quarterback, as we know, and Kellen Mond. And, you know, when you look at this A&M team, we'll get it more into this with Brent coming up. The question I continue to have is where, where are the big plays going to come from? Other than Kellen Mond doing it largely on his own. And Kellen Mond's been good. He's been better than you probably would think against Alabama the last couple of years. He's turned the ball over a couple times. But making plays with his legs, that's something he's done on a consistent basis against this defense. Nearly 190 rushing yards for Kellen Mond the last two years in games against UA. But again, will there be enough around him? You know? Got to have some guys to go along with you. And I understand Isaiah Spiller's a nice young back. Alabama did a good job on him last year. Just 27 rushing yards on 10 attempts in that Bama win out in College Station. So no Jamon Osmond, the wide receiver who has opted out. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, the young tight end, had a nice game against Alabama last year too. I think he had a couple of touchdown catches. So he's a guy that you're going to be aware of. If you're Pete Golding and that Alabama defensive staff, you've got some new safeties in play. So that could be a, a tough matchup. I think Xavier McKinney even had some struggles with Weidermeyer uh, last October. So that's one to keep your eye on for sure. And then defensively, you know, Mike Elko in his third year there as a coordinator. Uh, some some impressive pieces there as well. Uh but you also have lost another important piece in Anthony Hines to an opt-out at the linebacker position. So it seems like Vegas isn't as uh, maybe high on the Aggies' chances here in Tuscaloosa as it was even three or four months ago. I mean, you're seeing lines in Vegas right now. I think Alabama 16.5-point favorite. And really in the SEC in general this week, it's all about the home teams. You had some pretty big road dogs last week, and it wasn't a great week for Rusty, by the way. We kind of spared Rusty yesterday in our winners and losers. But, yeah, yeah, Rusty, you were a loser over the weekend, pal. One and three with those home dogs. Those road dogs had a little bit of bite for Rusty. Yeah, we'll see, Rusty. Rusty goes one and three, and his lone winner of his road dogs, or home dogs, those Missouri Tigers. You know what Rusty didn't like? With about a minute and a half left in that Georgia-Arkansas game in Fayetteville Saturday, Kirby Smart ran the field goal kicker out there. Rusty was getting, Rusty was getting 26 with Arkansas at home. And Kirby runs the kicker out there at a 34 to 10 game with under two minutes to go. Kicks a little field goal, makes it 27. That was a tough one for Rusty. You know, Rusty also got hooked. He got Rusty hooked in that uh, South Carolina-Tennessee game, too. He had South Carolina getting three and a half at home, and the Vols win by four. So he got hooked. Yeah, it's a tough weekend for Rusty. Rusty's now four, four, three, and one with those home dogs over his first couple weekends. So we'll see if he can uh, bounce back this week as well. But as far as Nick Saban and those comments from yesterday, uh, you know, he talked about Jalen Waddle, how much fun he is to watch, you know, all the different things you can do with Jalen Waddle. It got me to thinking, uh, if you're Jimbo Fisher, 
and we're talking about the issues that that offense has right now with creating explosive plays. Wouldn't you like to have a guy from the Houston area playing for you there in Kyle Station? Oof. That's got to be kind of tough to think about. Jalen Waddell at Texas A&M instead of Alabama. I think Jimbo Fisher. I think Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator for Texas A&M. Even the special teams coordinator there at A&M would probably like that idea. Pretty good. And, yeah, we're seeing Waddle utilized in a multitude of ways. Same for Devontae Smith, even John Mechie. You go back and you watch that Missouri game again, really utilize those guys at different spots. You know, This isn't 1990, okay? If you're a wide receiver these days, you need to know how to play up to four different positions. And that's where Alabama's certainly at with Waddle. And Devontae Smith, for sure. I think Mechie's getting there. I think Slade Bolden is trusted to be able to jump in at just about any spot if needed at this point in his development. Uh, But, you know, you can only send help so many guys' ways. And if you send help towards Waddle, what does that mean for Devontae Smith? If you try to help with both, well, then you see some explosive plays like we saw from John Mechie and even Miller Forstall against Missouri. Saban also talked about the debut of walk-on freshman punter Sam Johnson at Missouri and you know how he really wants to see more along the lines of hang time as much as anything else on those punts. And that makes a lot of sense because when you look at Alabama's coverage units and the personnel that it employs on both kickoff and punt coverage, uh, if you can get four second plus hang time on a 40-yard punt, there's not going to be much in the way of returns. And if you're averaging, if you're net averaging 40 yards per punt, you'll take that. And so if Johnson can give them that, they're going to have guys. I mean, you saw Devontae Smith Saturday night. Devontae Smith's a first round pick next spring in the NFL draft. He's beating double teams as a gunner on punts and making tackles. You know, that's, That's what you've got in terms of personnel that are covering kicks for this Alabama team. Um, Also was asked about sort of the running game in the latter stages of that Missouri game and, you know, how there were some struggles there. I think Trey Sanders, what, nine carries for one yard? And we talked about this before. You know, in an all-SEC schedule type season, you're not going to just run your twos out there and and they're going to have running lanes for, for days. You know, Missouri wasn't just going to say, well, okay, it's 35 to six. Let us put all our twos and threes out there. No, that's not going to happen. I mean, you've got some competitive pride at stake with some of these guys like Kobe Whiteside, Nick Bolton. These are all SEC guys and they're not coming out of the game when it's 35 to six. And so for guys like Sanders and Bryce Young, and you got to remember this too, with both Sanders and Young, Sanders coming off an injury that kept him out all of last season. Young, a true freshman. Well, that's where spring would have really helped those guys. Add up the scrimmages and the practices that they lost. And I know you can talk about the ramp-up period starting in June and you had the walkthroughs. and No, no, no. Scrimmage opportunities, legit scrimmage opportunities. Well, there was three last spring that went by the boards. Um. And then even in fall preseason practices, I know uh, Bryce Young missed one. I, I still thought Bryce Young was really good in the game. Uh, but with Sanders, I think there's going to need some be some patience exuded there. Um, and again, especially when you're trying to get these reps and, and, and these carries in games against SEC competition. I know, look, Missouri's not great. I'm not saying they are. But that was still a defense a year ago that ranked third in the league in total D. And welcome back some key pieces in guys like Bolton and Devin Nicholson and Whiteside and the safety positions. So it's in other words, it's not going to be like New Mexico State when you see these guys go into games late. You know, there's not just going to be wide open hash to hash running lanes. For guys to blow through. That's not going to be the case. We're going to step aside to our first break. When we come back, we'll have some conversation with Brent Beard, College Sports Today and First Coast News. 
on a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports, presented in part by Houston Hydra Steam, our great friends there at Houston Hydra Steam. If you haven't done it of late, you need to go ahead and get that home cleaned, get those floors, get those rugs, get those carpets, wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-ceiling. They can take care of you there at Houston Hydra Steam, home of the Houston Rug Revival, 205-553-9460. Maybe you're going to have the gang over this weekend for the big watch party, college football weekend. Need to go ahead and take care of it. Take care of those rugs. Take care of those carpets grout, tile cleaning. They can do it all for you at Houston Hydrosteam, 205-553-9460. Back with more of Southern Fry Sports on a Tuesday right after this. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's a daily update on Bama sports, and it's brought to you by Dex Imaging, the official copier and printer provider for Alabama athletics. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. Alabama football turns its attention to Texas A&M this week as the Aggies face the tide at Bryant-Denny Stadium at 2.30 p.m. Central. Head coach Nick Saban previewed the week ahead for the Crimson Tide. You know, Texas A&M is a very good team. You know, Jimbo has done a really good job there. They've got like 16 starters back from last year's team, um, seven or eight on each side of the ball. Um, Got a really good running back. Quarterback's got a lot of experience. Uh, Very good player. Um, you know, offensive line has four out of five starters back. Spiller's a good running back. They've they they got really good players. Um, they've got seven or eight starters back on defense, and their defense was ranked last year. Played very well last week against Vanderbilt, and only given up twelve points. I'll have more in a moment. At Alabama, Coach Saban talks about the process. It's about doing everything the right way all the time to be successful. While at Dex Imaging, we believe in the process as well. Do the job right and take care of your customers to help them be more successful. With locations throughout the Southeast, including Mobile, Birmingham, and Tuscaloosa, put the process to work for your business. Contact the professionals at Dex Imaging. Dex Imaging, the official copier and printer provider of the Crimson Tide. The Alabama coaches selected five players of the week following the Crimson Tide's season-opening win over Missouri last Saturday in Columbia. Mac Jones and Jalen Waddell on offense, Christian Harris and Josh Job on defense, and DeMarco Hellams on special teams all earned recognition for their play against the Tigers. And that's your Bama update. Crimson Tide Today brought to you by Dex Imaging. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. A cool, breezy afternoon with a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high 71. Becoming clear tonight, the low 49. Then some beautiful fall weather tomorrow and Thursday. Sunshine in full supply both days. Highs between 75 and 78. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide! With more of a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on your home for University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, your daily host of the program here and typically on Tuesdays. We check in with our good pal, Brent Beard of College Sports Today and First Coast News. Brent is located down there in Northeast Florida, so after what we saw from Dan Mullen's offense, back in Oxford, by the way, Dan Mullen on Saturday, uh, is it safe to say down there anyway, Brent, that the Gator fan base has already decided that Kyle Trask is, in fact, Joe Burrow from a year ago? And these Gators are also essentially the 2019 LSU Tigers. Have we already come to that conclusion in Northeast Florida? Both uh, trophies will be delivered to Gainesville any day uh, with this. So, uh, hey, listen, besides that, the most exciting thing down here, and I know you remember this, uh, when you lived here, we've got that the the big fronts coming through uh, tonight, Trav, and we've actually got 
uh, like three, four days in a row where it's going to be in the 50s uh, yeah. in, the, in the morning. So uh, uh, there's as much excitement about that right now as there is about college football. <laughs> I guess there's not a lot of excitement about Florida State down there, though. Oof. Oh, uh, uh, well. Oh, my goodness. Did, 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 I know that, look, Mike Norvell wasn't able to coach down at Miami right. over the weekend. So did the Knowles just take the JV down there, too? That was – uh, a lot of people love Miami. I, I think Miami's a good team. I don't think Miami's a college football playoff contender. I don't see Miami no. as a threat to Clemson no. in its own league. But, yeah, Miami's a, a good football team. But what was that Saturday night? Oof. I, I don't think that Miami is that much better than FSU. But, boy, on the field, uh, it, it, it was just dismal. And, Trav, for uh, two things here. For one, for FSU – uh, it's basically the same thing. They don't they don't have a quarterback, uh, and Blackman does the best he can. I think whichever pretty plays that they will be better, but they still don't have an offensive line. Uh, and when they make a mistake uh, in a penalty, they compounded as you've seen this for years with with a personal foul frustration penalty. And then for Miami, uh, they've got the best quarterback they've had in several years and Derek King and Rhett Lashley, who I'm sure Auburn fans are wondering why he wasn't unleashed at Auburn. But we, but we know the answer to that has been unleashed and, and is spreading the ball around uh, at Miami. But I think the reality is um, you, Miami fans need to uh, uh, understand they're improved. But as you said, that they're not ready to win a title. You know, we talked about this before the segment and, especially in this era of COVID-19. Boy, culture really gets underscored. The culture of a program. And it's been a struggle for Mike Norvell at Florida State from the get-go, whether you're talking about him being called out by Marvin Wilson in relation to social uh, justice issues. Um, You know, he's had the tough luck of the COVID-19 virus here of late. it shows up big, and that's that's what I think of right now when you talk about going from Jimbo Fisher to a layover yes. with Willie Taggart and now into these tumultuous first few days and months under Mike Norvell. That is a program that just on the outside anyway appears to be adrift. Well, uh, let, yes. go ahead. And, uh, and I'll say this because I learned this from you years ago. Uh, and, and we kind of laugh about this, but we know what we're talking about. They have to get the last two years of Jimbo and Willie Taggart out of that culture. And, and because when they get to the fourth quarter, Trav, instead of trying to come up with ways with their mindset to win, it's how are we going to lose. And that really makes you appreciate coaches like Nick Saban, doesn't it? Well, we talked about this before, and we're going to get into – you know, like LSU's struggles. And, and again, don't want to discredit what Mississippi State accomplished in Baton Rouge. Very impressive in the debut uh, of Mike Leach. But again, it speaks to how we don't talk enough about 92 straight wins over unranked opponents yes. for yeah. Alabama. Not just when you look at LSU, look at Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma for more on that as well. Well, I think what you've got, again, uh, that Saban has uh, over uh, so many of the programs is, is this mindset that we don't get caught up in who we're playing. We're going to we're going to they've got such competition among uh, the first, second, third team. Uh, and uh, there are a lot that uh, the Oklahomas and the uh, uh, and, and frankly, Trav, the thing that amazes me about about Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma is it's one thing to have that done to you once. How do you have that done to you two years in a row by the same team? Absolutely. Um, so let's talk some SEC specifically from over the weekend. Most impressive performance by a team. Who would you go with there? I would probably. Uh, and you would, sort of, by the way. You you talked about the potential 
for what happened in Baton Rouge. You, you seem yes. to be yeah. kind of yes. heading in that direction with Mississippi State last week when we talked talked with I, you. I, I, listen, I never bought the hype that uh, LSU was unhighly rated. Uh, now, obviously, they'll get better as the season goes along, but as you and I discussed over the last few months, you can't lose that many players and uh, be able to rebound that quickly. So with that said, I would go with Mississippi State because of what Mike Leach is able to do. Uh, look, I love Leach, but I also am realistic about Leach because he's never had a really good defense and he's never won a championship. But uh, And I'm curious if you've seen the same thing too. Uh, the, the thing that we've got right now in the early stages of the year Trav is uh, the thing we've got in college football right now is we have seven on seven football and the teams who can do that the best right now are coming out of the box or going to be winning. Now, the coordinators are paid millions of dollars in this league to uh, figure things out and they will figure some of this out later on. Uh, but the stat that caught my eye uh, with the Mississippi State and this is something that you and I have talked about not only how he develops quarterbacks, but also receivers. Trev, they had like 383 yards after the catch for Mississippi State. Now, that was a combination of developing receivers and maybe who didn't play for LSU. So uh, I'll give it to Mississippi State uh, because they handled the 7-on-7 as well as anybody this weekend. And when you think about the weekend and the, the, the openers in the Southeastern Conference, a lot of veteran experienced quarterbacks were the guys yes. that had success. Yes. Mac Jones had got the experience last year, very good at Missouri. Uh, KJ Costello, new to Mississippi State, but played a lot of football uh, at Stanford. Even Jared Guarantano at this point at Tennessee qualifies uh, for that status. Uh, Kyle Trask another one of those guys. Um, it just seemed to be the case more so than what we've seen maybe in some previous years where there's sort of been a splashy freshman that has arrived on the scene in the league and really around college football in general. I think what you've got is when you've got these experienced players, uh, they haven't been overwhelmed by COVID and the inactivity. Uh, and I think, for instance, Traub, uh, a, a Bryce Young would have been a lot more prepared if he had a spring under his belt and obviously had more work than he did. Uh, and, and I think you could probably throw Bo Nix in there. I, I think Bo Nix is not where he, he wants to be, but I could see some improvement. Of course, when you've got Seth Williams winning 50-50 balls, that helps, doesn't it, Trav? But the point's well taken. The, the, the teams with experienced quarterbacks, and I don't even go with Felipe Franks in Arkansas, who played Georgia well uh, until Georgia just overwhelmed them with their personnel. That, that, that was a huge element of this weekend. You talk about how quarterback-centric the league has become, man. And you look around the league, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out who ran the ball for big numbers uh, really, in the really. league. It, it's tough to really come up with an, a, a performance. I mean, Najee Harris, and this is the way you're going to have to calibrate your thinking when it comes to the run game and the running back position in general. It's all about scrimmage yards because when you look at Kylan Hill's numbers on the ground against LSU, they were fine. But when you look at what he did as a receiver, yeah. he devastated LSU from sure. that perspective. Najee's kind of the same way. Najee had an excess of 100 scrimmage yards at Missouri, scored three touchdowns. Scrimmage yards and getting in the end zone. I mean, that's what it's essentially about with the running back position now. It's kind of, a, I guess, a uh, trickle down, once again, from the National Football League. It's a lot of what you see in the NFL these days. And um, it's, it's kind of amazing to me because I would think fan bases would be more up in arms, or they used to be anyway. I mean, when you look at some of these rushing performances from over the weekend, uh, that would be something that would draw the ire uh, of support. Yeah. Not so much anymore. You know, it's almost uh, like it's just a given that, you know, we're not going to run for 200 yards every game. That's just not going to happen. 
Uh, well, I think the team that came the closest to that was Florida. Florida had 196. Now, again, they don't have a real bell cow yet, do they, Trav? But it, but, but it was a combination of several guys. And uh, to Mullen's credit, uh, since Mullen's been at Florida, when they've either run for 200 or gotten close to it, he's undefeated. So that that is a that's something that uh, coaches talk about balance, which is going to be really hard to do. Uh, but Florida as a team probably did as well as just about anybody in the league with that on Saturday. So you know, as we sort of look ahead to the the upcoming week, and you look at this slate of games and. You start again with an early game. It looks like Florida's in that 11 a.m. kickoff window once again, this time with South Carolina visiting the Swamp. That's an ESPN game at 11 a.m. Central. Missouri at Tennessee, also in that 11 a.m. window, that one on the SEC Network. You get into Alabama, Texas A&M, your 2.30 CBS game. Uh, Kentucky at 3 o'clock is going to host Ole Miss, and then that 6.30 uh, time frame that you have six six thirty time frame that you have Arkansas at Mississippi State, big one Auburn at Georgia, uh, LSU at Vanderbilt. Which one of those games maybe has your interest peaked the most as we move throughout the week, Brent? Well, well, I think to me it's got to be uh, uh, Georgia hosting Auburn uh, with what's at stake for both of those uh, teams, uh, not only as far as what a win would do uh, for boosting Auburn's confidence, particularly with LSU down and if Alabama beats A&M, uh, but, but if Georgia is able to uh, uh, solidify what's going on at quarterback, which that's certainly up in the air at this point. Uh, and by the way, uh, Trev, I believe Auburn's not won in Athens since like 2005. Uh, and the Auburn beat writers just assume that Auburn's going to win this game uh, with that point too. But I, I think that one would be uh, would be number one, and number two would be uh, uh, Ole Miss at Kentucky uh, with two teams trying to find themselves. Uh, that uh, a win would be, uh, I think, tremendous, uh, but a loss would put. Uh, either Kentucky or Ole Miss at 0-2, uh, which would be a very difficult start, uh, especially, Travis, that's Kentucky with the expectations we had for them going into the preseason. What's your biggest concern right now if you're Kirby Smart after that offensive performance at Arkansas last week? Is it the quarterback situation, although we heard yesterday from Kirby that JT Daniels has been cleared and is good to go? Uh, or is it maybe, as we've talked about, the run game at Georgia and perhaps the, the play of that offensive line that's undergoing some substantial changes, not just in terms of personnel, but the voice leading that room? Uh, I think what surprises me, I'm curious if you feel the same way. Uh, Trev, I don't know why Georgia can't run. Yeah. Uh, the, the offensive line uh, struggled in the game. And, and Zamir White and James Cook, you, you would uh, now – they both had a couple of individual pretty nice runs, but the truth of the matter is they are just not anywhere near what we thought they would be uh, at this point. And that, now I can see Georgia being able to put it together, and their defense is, is going to keep them uh, in every game. Uh, I think eventually they will be fine at quarterback. I still think Daniels uh, is, is going to be the guy, even though Bennett gave them a little bit of the spark. I can't see Bennett going for 10 games, frankly. Uh, but does it surprise you like it does me uh, how much these guys, as heralded as they were coming into this program, uh, and as good as uh, it publicized this offensive line is uh, or was as far as why Georgia struggles running the football? Yeah, it is interesting, but you you got to get that quarterback situation figured out because that's obviously an extension of what you can do on the ground. If you can't sure. threaten people again this year in terms of the potential for explosive plays with George Pickens and those other wide receivers, uh, it's going to be pretty easy to defend Georgia yeah. moving forward. Now, look, JT Daniels, he may change a lot of that starting this week. What do you think about A&M here in Tuscaloosa? 
that wasn't the season opening performance I think A&M fans had in mind for the start of year three under Jimbo Fisher. A 17-12 to win over Vanderbilt on Saturday night down in College Station. Uh, we talked about it before with A&M a lot. Uh, Jimbo known, and rightfully so, for his prowess uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But to this point, at least, in terms of explosive play capability. I know they had one for a touchdown against Vanderbilt on Saturday night. It just doesn't seem like, you know, A&M once again is going to be able to pose that kind of threat here in, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, well, I, I'd like to say that they're just laying in the weeds for Alabama. But, I mean, when you really look at this thing now, I mean, Mon was 189 yards traveling against Vanderbilt uh, in this yeah. wide receiver group that doesn't have anyone that's caught more than three passes last season is a real concern. And the thing that still is going on is they're having guys opting out. They had Clifford Chapman, who's a senior defensive back. Now, he's not a star, but he added some depth to them. And, and, and again, that Fisher record 1-7 and seven at A&M against top 10 teams Oh, and five in his last five tries. Um, uh, look, I, they and, and Trav, I watched some some of that game last night. And the truth of the matter is, uh, Vanderbilt's got the ball uh, with uh, deep in the fourth quarter. And Trav, if they score, they may have won that game. Yeah, and look, the 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 A and M defense looked to be as built with everything it's bringing back. And despite losing Anthony Hines, one of its starting linebackers and leading tacklers uh, there in the, the opt out process before the season, uh, it looks like maybe Mike Elko is going to mm. come a little bit closer to earning that 2 million plus yeah. uh, in year three. But, you know, you're right about Mon. You know, the thing about Kellen Mon that'll stand out when you do your research on him in the passing game is, Yards per attempt, yes. you know, it seldom reaches beyond seven yards, whereas Mac Jones and Tua here in the last couple of years, I mean, we're talking about guys that were among the best of the best in that regard in excess of, of 10 yards per attempt. But again, it goes back to, you know, Jamon Osmond, your top wide receiver mm-hmm. opts out. That's right. I want to say A&M's most prolific receiver against Vandy was four for 40 i think that was it you know and correct um right. so yeah that that that's that continues to be a bugaboo as we get into year three here uh under jimbo fisher from the alabama perspective brent you know, what are your thoughts of this team coming out of missouri and you know what are so, some of your expectations maybe in some areas of this team moving forward i i thought they did what they really needed to do that uh, they got ahead early. They they looked pretty efficient, uh, pretty crisp. Uh, and uh, I know people complain uh, because he put a lot of the uh, um, uh, the second third team in uh, uh, in the fourth quarter. But look, you've got to play all the people you play right now in, in order to get ready in case you've got a problem uh, with COVID and, and with people being out uh, during that time. So it, I mean, we can nitpick with it, but obviously, uh, when some of your stalwarts in the offensive line went out, they were unable to uh, uh, be able to run uh, like we thought they might. Um, I, I, I thought the defense, to me, was, and that's what I've been looking at the whole off season, is would they be improved defensively? Dylan Moses being in there just creates an energy. Uh, and I think leadership that was sorely lacking last year and they were able to put pressure on, uh, I think they had almost close to 10 tackles for loss. So that was quite impressive uh, to say the least. So I, I Trev, I think with uh, the, the starter, certainly uh, I, I thought looked fine. Uh, they, they played a lot of players and for anybody griping about uh, the outcome uh, I know Missouri snuck a few in there late, but you got experience with these guys, and right now that's paramount to me above anything else. Yeah, I think you said it with Dylan back in the middle of that defense, and he's only going to get better. I think that's, that's going right. to be the case for that defense in general. I think when you look at the back end, that's where you've had your primary concerns. 
Uh, I think you'll see continued improvement there. Uh, but as I've said before, when you've got three dynamic playmakers at the linebacker level with Moses and Harris, and now the true freshman and Will Anderson, um, they can help you cover for a lot. And perhaps you get Christian Barmore back here mm -hmm. pretty soon on that defensive line to give you maybe a little uptick and some playmaking ability as well. Well, Brent, as always, great stuff here on the program. Always look forward to it. Look forward to doing it again next week. Thanks so much, Brent. Always, pal. Take care. There he goes, Brent Beard of College Sports Today and First Coast News. If you haven't already, give Brent a follow on Twitter at Brent Beard, B-E-A-I-R-D. Back with more of a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier right here on Tide, 100.9 FM, right after this. A cool, breezy afternoon with a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high 71, becoming clear tonight, the low 49. Then some beautiful fall weather tomorrow and Thursday. Sunshine in full supply both days. Highs between 75 and 78. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. FM, a little Texas-themed playlist for you on this Tuesday. And when I think of Texas, I think of that guy right there, the late great Stevie Ray Vaughn. If you're ever in Austin, Texas, right there on the banks of the Colorado River, great tribute to the man, Stevie Ray Vaughn. Statue right there. You can check out if you have the opportunity to do so. Something you may not have an opportunity to do this Friday night is see Northridge and Hillcrest do battle. As apparently that highly anticipated matchup on the prep level traditionally is anyway. But with the region stakes in play, I guess, Joe Gaither, it goes to another level this Friday night. And... Based on my social media timeline yesterday, that game sold out in about four hours' time. Northridge Hillcrest. Yeah, I understand. We've got some uh, capacity limitations that we're talking about. But still, Northridge and Hillcrest sold out in less than four hours yesterday. How about that? I'm sure that. You know, I, I, I need some help there, maybe. I may need some help Friday night. For the Jags and the Pats. There you go. Yeah. That should be a great game. I know, like I said uh, earlier, being able to keep up with high school football in the area with Joe and the crew that he has uh, is, is just such a, a great thing. I, I was in St. Louis, Missouri last Friday night, and I'm keeping up with Joe Gaither's coverage of – Northridge and Gordo. What a great game that was. That seemed to be a cool environment there, Joe. And and look, Joe Gaither was going live on Periscope. So I'm actually able to watch some of the critical sequences of that game down the stretch. Thanks to Joe Gaither and Tide 109. It was good stuff, Joe. Good stuff. Had a... Yeah, yeah, exciting game. 17-13, our Jags get the win over a really good Gordo team. So uh, the high school football action in the area continues to ramp up, and that will be the case again on Friday night with Northridge and Hillcrest. You know, we were talking to Brent Beard. It's kind of a big week for Gus Malzahn. Now, Gus has done enough, I think, for the Auburn fan base. He's beaten Alabama three times in seven tries. You know, that's going to keep you employed right there. 
But you know where Gus hasn't beaten Alabama or Georgia? That's on the road. Gus Malzahn, 0-6, is Auburn's head coach in road games at Georgia and at Alabama. He'll be looking to rectify that on Saturday night. Intrigue, certainly, where Georgia's concerned and the quarterback position. Stetson Bennett in relief against Arkansas did some nice things. Stetson Bennett, though, he's more along the lines of a Grayson Lambert from a few years ago. Remember Grayson Lambert? I guess that's been five years ago now. Stepped in there as a transfer from Virginia. And uh, I made that comparison, too, to the situation at South Carolina with Mike Bobo essentially bringing BYOQB. (laughs) Bring your own quarterback. That's what Mike Bobo did at South Carolina. And uh, bringing his guy from Colorado State. That was kind of like Georgia in 2015 with Grayson Lambert. It might be a similarity there, too, that you're going to be able to draw in that. You know, 2015, that was Mark Ricks last year at the University of Georgia. Will this also be a last year type scenario for Will Muschamp at South Carolina? We will see. But JT Daniels, is he going to be? Is he going to play this week? Is it Stetson Bennett's ball against Auburn? I mean, based on just the quarterback situation right now, uh, this has to be one of Gus's best shots to win on the road at Georgia. Maybe JT Daniels is able to go and play at a high level. Uh, We'll see. But uh, Gus trying to get off the snide there where the road matchups with the two primary Rivals are concerned. Wanted to mention it yesterday, but another nice pickup for Nate Oates in the Alabama men's basketball program over the weekend. Jason Holt, the 6'6", versatile performer from Roswell, Georgia, on Sunday committed to Alabama. Seems like everybody Alabama gets committed these days is 6'6", right? 6'6", long, and can stroke the three, play some defense. Four-star pickup in Jason Holt. For the 2021 cycle. So the construction of this program from a personnel perspective continues to take hold for Nate Oates. We have Antoine Petway, the assistant, primarily in charge of that recruitment with Holt. Big year, big recruiting cycle for Pet. Picks up Holt, and he's still got J.D. Davison that he's trying to land the in-state star guard top 20 player nationally. That one's going to be interesting to watch play out. Alabama-Auburn also very much in that mix for Davis. That's going to do it for a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports. The lunch whistle today. The aforementioned Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza. It is a Thai chicken pizza Tuesday. So that means starting at 6 o'clock, you can get those Thai chicken pizzas at Heat Pizza Bar for just 7 bucks. Trust me. Trust me. That's a great, great deal on a great, great pie. Heat Pizza Bar downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Thanks to Joe Gaither. Thanks to Brent Beard. Thanks to you as well. And until 11 a.m. on Wednesday, have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. <laughs>